This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, everybody. Good morning, monkeys. Well, it may not be morning where you are or where you're listening to this or when you're listening to this. Should I start over? Nope. Hey, I'm talking to you outside on a deck looking at the uh, morning fog next to a babbling fountain. Which is why you might hear that strange disturbance in the background. There's a disturbance. And I'm talking a little softly because, not because I'm in some place haunted, because, you know, <laughs> I ain't afraid of no ghosts, uh, but because nobody's awake yet as I record this. Welcome to episode number 54 of The Snark Monkey with big time Hollywood director Paul Feig. Couldn't be happier to bring this episode to you. Before we move forward, if I could just ask you, please follow Snark Monkey on Twitter at the Snark Monkey. Also, you can like our Snark Monkey page on Facebook to get more updates on forthcoming conversations with cool, creative people, as well as the upcoming Monkey News segment. Not kidding. And reviews and other stuff and things and Snark. It's going to be good. Trust me. Did I cover? Oh, and you can also subscribe on iTunes. Please subscribe on iTunes. Search Snark Monkey. Also on iHeartRadio.com. Every episode goes up there, as well as Spreaker.com, whatever that is. Is that all? Is there more? I don't know. Probably. Anyway, uh, so Paul Feig. I've been working on trying to get Paul in the monkey cage, I'm going to say conservatively, like a year and a half. The dude's been busy. And he was super kind to bring me in to sit with him and chat right before maybe the biggest movie of his career, certainly the most talked about and strangely controversial. Um, we get into some of the negative and the naysayers who have um, who, who immediately launched into a tirade over how Paul was destroying their childhood, or, you know, especially some of the sexist comments that were made by people about the all-female cast. Um, he defended himself nicely, if somewhat aggressively, on the Internet, which sometimes can feel like a losing battle, but we, we broached that subject a little bit here. And by the way, as of this moment, this recording, uh, that would be 7-14-16, the naysayers may have to eat their nays uh, as... Th- Currently, the film is getting largely positive reviews, certified fresh on the Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, Last I checked, it was 76%. I suspect that when I do see the movie, which I'm going to do, I haven't yet, it will certainly not be the original, because that's impossible to recreate that magic of those guys in that moment. But I have a feeling it's going to be a pretty fun, pretty good time. And if you haven't noticed, at the box office lately... Pretty good movies and a pretty fun time have frankly been in short supply. So shut up. I mean, let me put this as eloquently and as succinctly as possible. Shut up about it. And just go see it before you judge it, you you big dummies. Yeah, guess I told you, didn't I, Internet? (laughs) 
it's about time somebody stood up to you. Anyway, uh, Paul and I, uh, I guess Paul would probably be very kind and say we were, were friends because he's that nice. Uh, I would probably be more realistic and say we are friendly. Uh, in full transparency, Paul and I actually attended USC film school at exactly the same time-ish. We just didn't end up in the same circles. I don't think we had the same classes, didn't have the same group of friends necessarily. I, we may have been aware of each other, and he has always been um, very open and in touch with me over the several many years. So we have a lot in common, and we indulge a little bit in some of the film school stories from back in the day. But I also think that's one of the things I haven't really heard him talk about that much. And I think it also definitely informed him as he was developing his sensibilities as a comedy director. And once again, as we often discover in this podcast, a path that started out headed a certain way and then took a very interesting turn for the positive. Uh, Paul's so talented. I think he's excellent at what he does. If you look at his recent past and the string of hits he's having, you got to give the guy a break, especially with something as touchstone as the Ghostbusters' presence in our film history. Uh, he's going to make a pretty good movie, especially with that cast of incredibly funny women. So again, let me go back to something I said earlier in this intro. Shut up about it. <laughs> yeah, shut up and actually listen, because this is a really good one. I think uh, you'll enjoy, and thanks again to Paul for being so kind. And go see the Ghostbusters, for crying out loud. Uh, here is Snark Monkey number 54, director Paul Feig. <laughs> Four in the AM. <laughs> I missed my calling, or, now, or did I? <laughs> I? Well, actually, that's one of the first things I'll bring up to you. Yes, is <laughs> um, it's actually not so much a bone to pick with you as much as with Tom Hanks um, <laughs> as a longtime radio personality. Mm-hmm. Uh, and people in the podcast world don't see the quotation marks around personality. Well, you should not be putting because you are a straight-on personality. Uh, I am. A, you have been ever since I've known you. I am a disc jockey. Let's just put Stop. it that way. But there are no discs discs anymore. Not well. I, you're, no, it's you're true. A stream jockey. Even even CDs would have mm-hmm. still kind of fit that scenario. Not, um, not anymore. But that thing you do, mm-hmm. you are cast. Yes. As a big time old school sixties era top forty disc jockey. That's right. Yes, I am. Now, Hanks couldn't have gone and gotten an actual <laughs> radio person. Nope. nope. He had to get... Have, have you ever been a radio personality? Have you ever been behind a broadcast board in that fashion? Only in high school when I was, uh, you know, worked the the, uh, the high school uh, radio station. All right, let's hear a, a little rap from that, shall we? Oh, gosh. Uh, hey, this is... I don't, I, God, I don't know. I don't even have the thing I had a rap. I was... Uh, I Boy, was, you really launch into the, the pukey sound, though, don't you? Yeah, that's, I know. That, oh, that's well, always so ingratiating to us who are on the radio to hear that guy. Hey, everybody. Well, it's good that they have... You know, I know. That's how I got the, the job on uh, <laughs> that thing you 
on that thing because I made Tom Hanks laugh because uh, he said, "Can you do a DJ?" And I did that ridiculous voice. And Actually, in that era, and and quite honestly, with the number of people I've worked with, that's not that far off. Well, there you go. So that's really. all the guys I grew up listening to. It was always uh, in Detroit. It was CKLW, CKLW, and it was like, "Hey, the Beatles coming out right now." Was, all Big that time. Kind of stuff. Well, that was. Uh, I'm taking this stupid, uh, oh, completely boo. fake. Oh, and you know what? Don't the interview's start. over. Interview's over. Don't start with the He's whole. He's taking off his tie. Uh, oh, oh, that's so oh, much better. Yeah, now you're cool. I brought my Ramones T-shirt. Just I'm gonna, <laughs> halfway through. I'm going to change into that if it's you okay. Young punks and your rock and roll. And then I'll be shirtless in boxers at some point, <laughs> and we'll just it'll be a before and after. Um, people, I I actually don't know where to begin with you, Paul, because mm. the past. I don't know, six months. How long ago was Ghostbusters even announced? Uh, it was as almost. As far as the cast and. and it was almost. Uh, well, uh, it was almost like two years ago to the day that I probably just said, I'm going to do right. this with a you know all female cast. Yeah. And so much it has been talked about, so much has been speculated, so much has been. Mm-hmm. You've been ravaged, and you've been you've defended. <laughs> when was a little... I ravaged? Hello, <laughs> exactly. I didn't mean it in a good way. <laughs> I'm uh, unless I did, there's something I don't know. Um, no, but not. it's but and and this week in particular, it's just um, you haven't you've been uh, you've been connected with big movies, but nothing quite so in the I'm using the word the zeitgeist. Wow. Uh, yeah. Well um, what does that feel like? I mean, you have been a little. Yeah. Aggressive in defending some things. Oh, only when I feel bullies are coming. That's my one weakness in life is bullies. I hate bullies. And so when I feel not so much myself, but when my cast is getting bullied, then, yeah. I, then I I spring to like a like a mother lion. But uh, <laughs> but no, it, it's you know here's the thing. When you make movies, what you're what you're always trying to movies, TV, anything podcast whatever it is your whole goal is to try to make people care that it exists and aware that it exists and this is the first time i've ever done anything where you go like oh that that problem solved everybody knows it exists so now it's about managing expectations it's about managing um people's strong opinions about about things but i I don't mind you know it's exciting to have something that people actually care about it just you know what level of caring that that takes well even the story that has surfaced in the last couple of days several times and you have admitted that even you were trepidatious about even accepting this which yeah. makes sense yeah. obviously you and i are, are basically the same age mm-hmm. that original movie is it's canon it's yes and mm-hmm. treasured in our childhood. So you know what you're messing with when you take that on. Yeah. I mean, we were in film school together when I went and saw the movie. I right. Mean, Scott Altizer and I went went to see it opening night uh, somewhere in, in Hollywood. And, uh, you know, there's pre-internet days when you didn't know everything about a movie. We're right. kind of like, well, we know we love those guys and it looks cool as about ghosts. And then just sitting there like, oh, my God. I right. Mean, just blown away. Blown away by it. But so so it seemed like it would be untouchable. It just give me a little thumbnail of what turned you around on that. Well, it was you know when I was first approached by Ivan, it was such an honor, you know, and they sent me this script. But it was and it was a really good script written by very funny people. But it was just this idea that the team had been forgotten, and here was this new group of people that kind of held the torch. And then, so the you know the former guys come forward, you know Dan and Ernie, because Bill wasn't going to do it, and Harold had passed. It was just the idea of like, okay, well they're handed technology, and you know, and the world's already seen two ghost attacks. Just I don't know. For me, I didn't know I didn't know how to do that, uh, and I was like, you know, 
as we know, any project you take on, especially in movies, you have to have so much energy for. Right, it's like right. selecting a spouse. You know, you have to really love that person. You know, because you got to spend all this time with them. You also know that it's probably going to be the biggest thing you would ever undertake. Yeah, uh, in terms yeah. of effects and cast and sets, and, yeah. and you knew it was going to be enormous. Not to mention expectations. Yeah, there. but that was the exciting part. That was the part that made, gave me pause and go like, "Ooh, we could do this big thing." And the I've big toy been, chest, kind totally. Of thing. Oh yeah. my god, totally. I'm such a hardware nut. You yeah. know, that's my whole thing. That's what I love. And so the idea that I could do something that I could come up with um, all these new props for and, right. and come up with new technology and ideas that was really exciting. Uh, it was just like, how do I tell this story? Because obviously I'm not just going to make a movie so I can hang a bunch of cool stuff on it. Right. Uh, and it was really after Amy Pascal you know, brought me to Sony, it was kind of like, why don't any of you comedy guys want to do this? It's because it's canon. It's, it's terrifying. <laughs> but you know, just you know, she planted in my head the idea that this is an amazing idea. It's an amazing idea. It's, it's such a great comedy idea. Funny people fighting the paranormal with technology. It's got everything. And so you go, God, it's, it's almost kind of a bummer to let that just be trapped in amber 30 years ago with that amazingly funny group of people. But, you know, there's amazingly funny groups of people now. And now there's all this new technology that we can up these stakes with the special effects. And there's stuff we can do. And it's like, you know... But then at the same time, I was like, I don't know. And then it was the moment, because I'd been trying to figure out, I'd also been actively trying to figure out another ensemble comedy because I had so much fun making Bridesmaids. It was so fun to, you know, to launch all these new people with it um, that I was like, okay, this could be it. And then it was just that weird moment you you would think would be the easiest thing, the first thing I would come up with, which is, oh, let's use all the funny women I know. It was the last thing I came up with (laughs) because you just, Ghostbusters is stuck in your head as this guy comedy right just, right and so that but it was that moment like oh wait if i could do that with these all the funny women i know it's almost a way to get away from the comparisons in my head to the original because you're not gonna go like well who's playing bill and who's playing dan right right and so suddenly they're just kind of mirrored yeah. you know ideas of the same guys yeah actually let's i uh, will come back to ghostbusters yeah. maybe right. uh maybe. but 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 uh <laughs> The female thing, which, again, is one of those things that you've been tagged with. And it's interesting because when you and I kind of first started, I can't even remember how and why it came to pass, but you and I started corresponding via email. Mm -hmm. And at the time, you were directing episodes of The Office, I think. That was kind of one of your main jobs. A lot of episodic TV. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think you were prepping for uh, Unaccompanied Minors. And Mm -hmm. you... um, sent me an email about your movie I Am David and told me a few things about that, uh, about the kind of the the trial that that was a little bit because it was yeah. shot very low budget yeah. in a location that was not the location where it was yeah, set. Yeah, exactly. Had it bombed yet or was it before it bombed? It was after it had already come out. Oh, good. I, I, I'm, I'm sure it was received. It, Lo- it, it bombed. It, bombed. <laughs> it was showing up on cable. That's why. It, was show- it showed up on HBO one day and uh, you had sent me an email about that. And then the next movie was Unaccompanied Minors. Mm which did not probably get the response that you would have wanted. It, no. it, it didn't necessarily light up the box office. The very next thing you do is Bridesmaids. Mm-hmm. And nothing before Bridesmaids, I Am David, essentially a drama. Mm-hmm. Nothing wacky about that movie at all. No, no. Uh, unaccompanied minors, kids, a, a comedy, a little bit wacky. But mm-hmm. Bridesmaids immediately made you the 
director of, of women in comedies. I mean, it was like Hollywood slapped that on you immediately. Well, and happily so. I, I, no, you embraced yeah. it. Oh, yeah. But it yeah. wasn't something you were either aspiring to or probably expecting, well, was it? Well, I mean, it was something I, I wanted to do because, I mean, if you look at Freaks and Geeks, that was, you know, really, that was Lindsay's show. And that was my kind of proudest creation because uh, that was the only character that wasn't based on anybody I knew, really. Oh, really? Yeah, it was really based on I'd always wanted to have an older sister because I was an only child and would always kind of invent who I wanted my older sister to be. And it was basically that, like this really smart, cool girl who would you know, give me great advice but would still be somebody I wanted to look up to. Right. And, um, and I loved writing that. And it was this weird moment in my development where I suddenly went, oh, I actually – I know how to write this character, I, and I love writing these female characters. And it was really fun to write Kim Kelly and you know and, and Millie and those characters. And it was fun writing the geeks too. But I suddenly felt like I had a voice for that. And I was because it was so hard. I was always you know trying to write these great male, male characters. But since I'm such always been such a kind of a lifelong awkward nerdy guy, <laughs> you know, and you're always have to if you're writing a movie about guys, it has to be sort of the hero, you right? Know? Right. And that's why I could never. I never was much into comic books because I was not a superhero guy because they just all seemed like guys that would beat me up. <laughs> well, you write so much about your childhood in, in the books. Uh, Super Stud in particular is one that uh, is glorious from the cover to, I mean, again, this, these are stories I can relate to. So were you like me, uh, and you've confirmed this in the books, but were you more friends with w- girls than you were yeah. largely with guys? I mean, you had guy friends. Yeah, we but they were all nerds. awkward nerds yeah. like myself. Yeah. And you – I didn't have a date up until college, I guess. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I had uh, – but the difference is it looks <laughs> to me like – I mean, the fact that – the cover of Superstud in particular makes me think – Leisure suit and bad haircut and crazy <laughs> shoes aside, you embraced and flaunted it, whatever it was. Yeah, you, I don't you didn't know. seem afraid of being who. It, it, I mean, that exists to this day. Obviously, the clothes have changed dramatically. Yes, exactly. That's right. But you don't <laughs> still suit. shy away from making a statement, even if that statement is, I'm not part of the crowd or I'm not yeah I guess funny back then I don't know if I knew I was making a statement it's that's that weird thing where you go oh I like that's always been the thing that's driven me like oh I like this oh I want to be this I'm like you know I'm like the kid that would wear the fedora you know to school even though I wasn't the fedora kid but like when the parents are like oh he's wearing the fedora you know what would be our generation version of the fedora what would that be well I don't yeah because it wouldn't be something cool like goth or something I think I think it's still fedora is it uh I well okay I was one of the early adopters of the tuxedo t-shirt oh does that oh, count well yeah although that was uh, made famous in uh carrie if you remember remember that was the ah, the yeah. funny cool guy was too cool to wear a tuxedo yeah, maybe that's where that. i got it all right see. i'm a see i'm a follower i'm not an innovator that's, that's right. where no, we that's I, where we part ways i think the i think the fedora still is the industry standard for the <laughs> the kid who doesn't realize he's going to get beaten up yeah it came through in the yeah. 80s too it's i think it just it's a cyclical thing oh absolutely. yeah oh yeah definitely so so you had great relationships with women did you have a, a what about with uh, mom, yeah, uh, relatives. That- well, great relationship with mom. I mean, that was I was an only child. My dad worked all the time, so my mom and I were close. We were buddies, you know, and kind of partners in crime. And she was. I wouldn't call her a stage mother because we weren't in showbiz, but she right. would have been if she was out here because, like, 
the minute I go like, I'd like to play guitar, I suddenly had a guitar and I was yeah. in guitar lessons. I want to tap dance. Suddenly I was in tap dance lessons. You know, I was, every lesson that I expressed any possible interest in, she would slap me into it. And so I had this really fun relationship with my mom. And then on top of that, my best friends were the girls next door. You know, it was a family of eight kids and six of them were, were girls. And uh, two, three of the girls in particular were, were around my age and we were very close. And I just hung out with them all the time. And we did haunted houses and open dance studio. We did every every corny thing you could do as a kid in the Midwest, you know, pre-internet. Uh, and it was fun. And I had just had a great time. And at school, so many of my friends were were girls. And I was in drama club and forensics and all that kind of thing. And so that was just... <laughs> forensics. For, I know it sounds, sounds like we operated on bodies. Yeah. Uh, I loved forensics. That was, that was I thought that was the greatest Remind thing. me of what that is again. It's uh, oral and terp, right. basically. Uh, yeah, where you... And I was in the comedy division, so you would select like a skit or a short story and you would read it and you'd do all the characters and you kind of each character would have a different placement of your eyes. But I, my thing was I would, that was when that Saturday Night Live book came out. Mm-hmm. And so I did oh. the, the, the famous Star Trek routine from that. And uh, yeah, and it was, and I would, I would win. I went to state competition. I never won state competition, but I got there one year and it was very exciting. But it's that total nerdy band thing. You know, you go off on a bus together and then you go out to eat together. Uh, um, I have a treatment somewhere buried in, in a desk somewhere of my one experience involved in that because I wasn't involved in the, the speech and debate stuff, but I was recruited to be for one tournament because, and you will probably be able to confirm this scenario, <laughs> um, the entire group was devastated by a rather incestuous uh, bout of mononucleosis. <laughs> As all good things happen. <laughs> and so 90% of them couldn't go to the, uh, to the competition. Get Larry. Get so they guy. were scrounging for... Uh, Non-kissers. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I was indoctrinated into the world of extemporaneous speaking mm-hmm. very quickly oh, and God. was part of this, literally this ragtag band of, uh, in, in Abilene, Texas, where we go in and I have these visions and it doesn't make sense anymore, but... The long hallway in the school with um, mm-hmm. people looking at note cards oh, and yeah. kind of staking out their f- their five feet of ground that they would pace back and oh, forth yeah. and practice. Oh, yeah. Hang out in front of the door the, to the room. Yeah, the, the, the schools that would come in and they would be wheeling in their volumes of research materials because right. – what was the one? Oh, yeah, that was extemporaneous speaking. Yeah, right, extemporaneous right. speaking, and also doing a topic. Debate. Yeah, no, which which one time you know because I all I did was was humorous and terp. And, right. But then once there was a thing, it was kind of some kind of like a triathlon, some where you had to do like five different categories. And so oh. I go into it with a gusto. But one was like news reading, where you'd get news copy and have yes. to like break it down. But then the worst one was was dramatic and terp, where they. Uh, you know, you had to take a short story, and I don't do drama. And so I remember, like, I got this. It was a Ray Bradbury story, uh, something about the, the ice cream jacket or something. Something. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I forget what it was. And um, I remember, it, it, I was. It was the judge. It was the judges, and then these two girls who were kind of helping them out. And so I get up, and I'm doing this this story, and so seriously, and being very dramatic. And they're all. I remember those two girls were just like staring at me. I think like, oh man, they really are being affected by me and they must really be like going wow this guy's so amazing and so i end with this very you know flowery ending and walk out like yeah i nailed it and i get my scores and it's the lowest possible <laughs> score you could get it was a 474 slash 75 and it's just like oh they were looking at me like i was crazy oh yeah um, i have a memory of because this was all brand new to me so every image and every moment was just 
I soaked it in. Um, <laughs> but you immediately had your your uh, rivals right away. You mm-hmm. knew who the jerks were. It oh, was yeah. just, it oh, was yeah. it was so clear. Oh, yeah. um, and I remember two discussions. One, there was a major in depth discussion about the positives and negatives of all that jazz from Bob Fosse. <laughs> you know, theater kids and speech kids oh, yeah. digging into it. <laughs> And then one of the, somebody from a rival high school going up, and keep in mind this is Abilene, Texas. Um, intro, you had to introduce your story before you read it, yeah. give a little mm-hmm. like intro or bio or something. Oh, yeah. So yeah. it was, I forget the story. And this guy goes, so and so and so and so by Kurt Vonnegut Jr. It's like where, where's that <laughs> fucking accent, accent coming from? <laughs> you're, so you're from Wichita Falls, Kurt oh, Vonnegut. He was affected some, so I immediately hated him. Exactly. And then, did he win? Uh, I I edged him out. Uh, nice. I I got third place somehow. I have, having never done it before, I was quite proud of myself. Look at you, look at you there. and very uh, sure of myself that I would never enter that again. Oh my God. Well, I always I would always scope out my nemesis, but it would, it would always be because you would when you'd get towards the, the 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 higher you know competition when you're moving towards the finals, you would sit in. You'd have to be in there. What, what right. other people read, and it was always it's where it really kind of showed me what my sense of humor was because. I remember specifically, there was one girl and she was doing stuff, but she, her voice is really crazy, like like funny voices. <laughs> right. And I remember the judges and the audience like cracking up. And I was thinking like, oh, that, that sucks. That's so over the top. I don't believe that. It's fake. Like I really try to ground my characters. and um, But they always would end up winning. And that's why I go like, okay, most people don't know what's funny. Yeah, would, exactly. That would be my takeaway from that. The only other image I, at an early age. The only other image I have of that experience is that we ate at a bad pizza place the night before and we all got terrible stomach issues. Oh, so yeah. there was a communal bottle of Pepto Bismol that kept getting passed around. Oh, that we the worst. Well, I had we had we got we went to a state one act competition um, oh. with a oh. checkoff played the bear. Yeah, exactly. Which is a three three hander, and I was playing the, as you will when you're a character actor guy. I played the old man, the old servant in the house. But our our <laughs> my drama teacher was a like a legitimate alcoholic. And she was amazing. I learned everything that I've ever learned. It's great from her. But she would get us all drinking. And we drove to this place and stayed in a hotel overnight. Right. And she took us out to the bar. And I drank about 15 Heinekens the <laughs> night before. And you're how old? Oh, 15, maybe and 16. I'm guessing you probably hadn't had that much beer before. No, no. I'd had beer, thanks to her. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we had to go out at 9 o'clock the next morning. Oh. And I remember waking up just green. To this day, I can't drink Heineken. There's a certain taste it has that just sets me off. Yeah. But having to go up on stage hungover and this uh, I, my character it was supposed to have white hair so you know they'd powder up my hair and stuff and, and the end of the thing is about this couple that doesn't like each other and then they fall into each other's arms at the end and then I run in because I think he's killing her and I run in with like an axe and then I go oh lord in heaven and I see them kissing and I walk out so I come running out completely hungover and I yell at him to give myself a headache. And then I, so I drop the axe and I like put my hands on my, like slap my hands on my head, like, oh, Lord in heaven. And giant laugh, enormous laugh. And I'm like, whoo, I nailed it, man. I fucking killed. <laughs> and the laugh keeps going and it keeps going. I'm like, this doesn't seem right now. <laughs> they should not be laughing this long. And so I come off stage and I'm like, why did they get such a big laugh? And they go, you idiot, you hit your head so hard that I sent up this enormous cloud of white powder that just surrounded me like a mushroom cloud and just kept going out and out and out. Needless to say, we didn't win. So I, I, I want to get to uh, USC years because yeah. um, I, I, I don't know that I've 
read you talk about that that much, and uh, it's interesting to me. One of the things that develops in this podcast that I get fascinating fascinated with when I talk to creative people mm-hmm. is the, um, the path to where you are almost never goes the way you think it's going to no, go, no, no, and no. and in, and in fact, most times wildly divergent from what you originally yeah. intend, even if it's within entertainment. Right. It's in, uh, I've talked to several people. Well, I thought I was going to be in theater and do these dramatic things, and they become comedic actors mm-hmm. and very successful. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have so many varied things that you did and were had interest in. Uh, first of all, who did you want to be? As you were applying to USC film school, and you and I, again, both the same era, this is right on the heels of everybody knowing who George Lucas was, mm-hmm. Steven Spielberg. You're hearing that they went to film school. Yeah. The, um, like you mentioned the SNL book, which is a whole different conversation. <laughs> Remember when you used to buy books about TV shows and movies? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I had every book about every movie that yeah. they would make a book about, all the Star Wars stuff. I, I bought... Spielberg's 1941 book. I did too. I saw I saw 1941 I that five movie. times. I thought that was the funniest movie I ever saw. And then when you've come out to Hollywood and you hear that it was a disaster, you're like, yeah. what? I thought it was really funny. Yeah. And still considered, uh, you know, this t- terrible part of his canon, which yeah. doesn't make any sense. I loved this 1941. It's a beautiful movie. Um, but so going into uh, film school and knowing mm-hmm. that I wanted to make movies, I knew exactly where I wanted to go. And yeah. that was USC. It was the one. Um, at what point did you know it was that who you wanted to be? Was it those guys or that? No. Influence? Well, it was. It was. I wanted to be Woody Allen. That was okay. the be all and end all for me because I was. I want to star in and write and direct my own movies and be this big comedy star who does it all. Um, so you wanted to be on camera and oh yeah, the that was all I really wanted to be was an actor. But then when I saw oh you can do it all, that that was my motivation. But then when I, I came out to to L A after my freshman year of college in, in Detroit at Wayne State and uh, got a job as a tour guide at Universal Studios just because I thought that was, oh, I'm going to be around studios and somebody will discover me as an actor. And I, you know, started doing stand-up then. But it was that summer we, you know, I went to the opening morning show at the Man Chinese of Raiders of the Lost Ark. And that was the, seeing that was the first time I went, oh, that's, what you can do if you're a good director. Like, there was the first time I became aware. Every time I'd see a movie I loved, I, it made me want to be the character in the movie. Like, when I saw Close right. Encounters, I wanted to be picked up by a UFO. I wanted to be, you know. So you weren't connecting to the director necessarily. Not at all. I didn't, I didn't kind of understand what a director oh, did. Wow. You just go like, oh, that's cool, you know. But, yeah, that was the first time I went, oh, that's what, like, look what you can do to an audience. Because that was the first time I'd seen, it's honestly, I think that was the first time I'd seen an audience go crazy for something other than when I, my cousin took me to the opening weekend of Animal House. <laughs> and But that was more like, like I don't know, I didn't connect that to filmmaking. It was more like, oh, my God, we're having this amazing group experience with all college students going crazy. Yeah, it was something. like a televised party or oh something that on a big screen. Yeah, yeah. just yeah. madness. But this was different because it was an adventure and it had big filmmaking and it was really that moment, which is now so so you know infamous, the uh, with the boulder rolling down, which you've seen a million times. It doesn't right. mean anything to us anymore. But seeing that for the first time with an audience, 
people like levitated out of their chairs. I've never, I don't think I've ever heard an audience go that crazy for something where just people are just like, <laughs> and, uh, and that was, I was like, I was hooked. So I remember kind of like, well, who made that? Steven Spielberg. And I kind of knew about Spielberg because sure. of 1941, but not in the way that, you know, people know, you know, know now about directors. And uh, I remember saying, well, how did he do it? And it was like, well, he, he didn't go to USC film school, but George Lucas did. And he, Steven Spielberg donated. And I was like, well, what's USC film school? I didn't know, I had no, no, no clue about it. And that's what I heard about it and immediately went like, that's where I want to go. But it was so hard to get into. But the weird thing was that was the year that I applied was the year they I think they'd had so many showbiz kids there right they, the edict was like we got to get kids outside of showbiz right <laughs> so I sent my application and got it got in immediately I remember they accepted 12 freshmen the the year I got in mm-hmm. and uh, I didn't know that I just remember the admissions person calling me I was actually at a radio station when my mom called <laughs> and she said she was she was a little bit haughty like you do know what a big deal this is don't you and I'm <laughs> and like, whatever and my mom <laughs> And my mom's going, I do know, because we're taking out every possible loan to get yeah, in there. Yeah, exactly. Um, because that was, that was the last year of the, the, the bungalows, so they, it, yeah. no room in the film school. No, so. it was I, – I, and so when I got there for orientation, somebody asked me, you know, what's your, what's your major? And I said, oh, I'm cinema production. And they said, yeah, but what are you, what are you majoring in now? Because everybody apparently said that. And I said, no, I, I actually got in. And they started doing this big deal about, oh, stand in the light. He's the chosen one. Like, I was really embarrassed. I had no idea it was at that level. No, it was, And then you get there and you are in these World War II era, whatever yeah. they are. Oh, these, yeah. The huts, the that, bungalows, yeah, yeah, exactly, which are great. I mean, I'm so honored that we were there for that last Me too. that last year. But but you know, most of my classes actually weren't in the bungalows that first year. It was off in some other classrooms. Uh, but my my entrance into USC Film School is very rocky uh, because the first class I had it was this class, the class where you write your 290. Right, which uh, for those who don't know, which or is everybody, three, yeah, or uh, your three ten. I'm sorry, it's the class oh, the three ten, because the yeah. two ninety is, the, I believe, the super eight. Uh, yeah, you have to make five uh, super eight, eight films. films, and at that time, super eight. That's on film, kids. We had to send that away to get developed. Didn't get it back for a week later, and oh, if yeah. you, there were no levels of undo on cutting that baby. No, totally. totally. And and the three ten was non sync sound. Oh no, sync sound, but um, non dialogue. No, no dialogue uh, <laughs> on sixteen millimeter black and white. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> oh my God! How ancient are we, Paul? Oh, we're so old. Oh my God. Lord! Nonlinear editing. What's it that? Was it that long ago? You kids don't know. <laughs> back when you could smoke on airplanes. Uh, but the students were so hard on Hollywood back then. I mean, we. You went to four sixty-six. Was that it? Uh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, the which Arthur was Knights? Yeah, uh, it was Arthur Knight, and then then it was Charles Chaplin for right, a while. Right. What, basically, what they would do is they would bring in a Hollywood filmmaker to talk before their film. And then they would show a Hollywood, their oh. new Hollywood movie, and then you do a Q and A after. Oh, you're making my t- stomach. Tight. Were you at any of these? Yes. This, oh, I, oh, Paul. Hollywood filmmakers were excoriated yes. by these film students. I, uh, the worst I ever. There was two, the two worst I ever saw. I have two as well. Were you at the uh, Rambo First Blood? No. Oh, we got poor Brian Dennehy comes down. He brings Rambo First Blood. So the, it's always the Q and A before the movie. Is always like, oh, it's fun. And they're up there like telling stories about yeah. Hollywood. Oh, and, we can't wait to see it. Yeah, yay! And then the movie plays and people are beside themselves. They hate it. They think it's so jingoistic and they're just getting up and they're yelling. So they're like, everybody's just tearing him a new asshole. And at one point, poor Brian Dennehy goes, hey, it's a movie, not a film. And the place goes, boo! 
and they all boo, and it's just like, oh my god, these are we're being so terrible to this poor guy. And then the other bad one was a movie. I can't remember. I keep thinking it's a movie called The Wraith, but it wasn't. It was, it was Barbara Hershey, and she her abusive husband dies, and the ghost of her husband comes and keeps raping her. Mm-hmm. And it, it, remember, the big special effect was like she's on a bed naked and her breasts undulate right. because yes. there's fingers be, on them. Yes, and, and so this and she's sound asleep through the whole thing. Totally. Yes. And so the guy who wrote I was it, there. It's, it's like Steve Delillo or I've written that's not uh, no. some guy. And he, I think he wrote the book. He wrote the book yes. and then he was a producer on it. Right. So he's telling all these like ghost stories beforehand. He's like, <laughs> and then when we were doing something, a ladder fell down. He's like, I'm gonna really bamboozle these kids. That thing airs and. I've, these people, women are getting up, rightfully so, and oh. like screaming at him and crying, and people are booing, <laughs> and it was just, oh. I was like, I'm never bringing a movie to 466. Right, and I, I was at that one, it was, um, and I I understood the the rancor that was going to yeah. be exhibited, but I would never have done that in front of the filmmaker, oh, no, totally. uh, the entity. That was it. Yes, oh entity, my God. That 1981. Uh, my, so that was one of mine, absolutely, Paul. And the other one was, um, again, not a great movie, but a, a, a director that you give a little respect to. It was called Sphinx. Or the Sphinx. Oh wait, no. Was that with Charlton Heston's brother? Oh no, 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 no. That, that was Motherlode. No, no, no. That was, mother, that was the other. One. <laughs> yeah. That was one where my buddy Chris Black stood up and basically said, "You know, um, the hero in this movie, it's like he relies so much on luck to get out of something every single time. Whereas in something like, for instance, Raiders of the Lost Ark, where he has to use ingenuity and and and, Charlton and Heston, and Heston, uh, the." Brother or kid or whatever. Oh, right, right. Yeah, it was the son oh, yeah. who directed oh, it. You're right, yes. And the, and the young Heston goes, yeah, you're right. <laughs> you know what? You're right. Uh, no, the other one was The Sphinx starring Frank Langella. Oh. Uh, but directly by, directed by Franklin J. Schaffner. Oh, my God, really? I mean, we're talking Patton and we're talking oh, no, totally. Planet of the Apes and mm-hmm. um, uh, and very sophisticated and debonair. And he's getting ripped and to the point where Arthur Knight is going, now, 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 I think he said something like, now children. And it's like, oh, no. Um, so, yeah, I, anyway. I, Brutal, yeah. Uh, now, so out of that, you go there, uh, from there onto a path that incorporates acting and writing and this kind of hodgepodge of different things. Stand up for a while. Stand up, yeah. Were yeah, you I, doing that in college at all? Well, I did it before I got to college. Oh, okay. When I was 15 years old, right. yeah, it was when, you remember Make Me Laugh, that TV show, Make yes. Me Laugh, with the, I forget who, Bobby Van, did he host it? I forget. But, yeah, um, that's it. Yeah, it was. And that started kind of the stand-up comedy club craze. And, uh, yeah, I really wanted to get into it. I was a huge Steve Martin fanatic. And so, yeah, I did my first time as a stand-up at 15, had my parents drive into this club. So I was trying to keep that going. And it was right when I got out of film school um, well, I got an internship the year before I graduated, the summer before I graduated, for Michael Phillips as a script reader. And then when I graduated, uh, he offered me a job, paid job as a script reader for him. So I did that, but at the same time, I was trying to pursue my stand-up career. And uh, when that started kicking in, uh, I realized I couldn't, I had to pick one or the other because I couldn't work two jobs because I'd be up all night at the stand-up club. And so I uh, went on $25,000 pyramid and won $29,000 and so quit my job and became a stand-up. So that's what I pursued and then 
I did stand up for five years and then was looking to do acting and then kind of transitioned. Did you spread to that twenty nine thousand over? Five oh yeah, years or did you blow it all in one? No, week? I was pretty good with it. Wow, um, well, that was a, the crazy thing was I'd always heard you do those, then you lose it all in taxes. They sent me a check, no taxes out of it whatsoever. And so, did you? Well, you were probably supposed to claim that, and now I think I did, but I think it was in a way where, like, it was under some kind of level. Well, of you probably income. weren't making any other money. No, totally. Time. So oh, I got go. away pretty easy. So I, I was able to string that out quite a while. And then I started after <laughs> about six months doing stand up. I actually started getting paid gigs and went on the road um, and did that. But um, but kind of got tired of it after about five years, yeah. and so transitioned into acting after that. So were you focused on wanting to get on screen at that point? Did you think yeah. that directing or writing was was not the path? No. Did something discourage you, or is that always there? I wasn't ready. I was, in a, I was not in a maturity level to be able to direct um, to the point where, I will tell you this story, um, Dean Lemon, you remember Dean Lemon? <laughs> he was in my class, and he wrote this this 480 about um, a girl with like a terminal a terminal illness or something, and he ended up not being able to do it. I forget why, but oh, he, I for, I'm sorry, I forgot earlier. Rape, incest, terminal illness, all the fun, the, the trifecta exactly. of, of college films. But for some reason, he I don't know, he had to leave school. Something he was able to do it, but they wanted to make it. So he asked me if I would direct it, and I was so honored. But then as it got closer, I suddenly started to freak out because I had never been in charge of anything. And to me, my image of a director, even though I was in film school, was somebody who had to be able to fire people and yell at people. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and I couldn't. So I was going into this panic. And so what I did, I was like, I got to somehow kill this thing. And so I rewrote <laughs> it as the Wait. message of the movie was she, the girl who's terminally ill meets, meets this other woman who's suicidal and the woman convinces her to commit suicide, and it was a pro-suicide movie. Basically, the end thing was the two of them grab hands, and they run and jump off a cliff, and we're supposed to be happy that they killed themselves. And, of course, it's sabotaging your I own totally project. totally sabotage it. And, it goes, I mean, and the guy's like, we can't do a movie that's pro-suicide. And I'm like, well, I, that's really my vision for this, hoping he was going to kill it, and he killed it. And so so that I, after that, I was like, well, I'm clearly not ready to right. direct. So I was like, well, I'm just going to become an actor, and that's what I'm going to do. There were To me, there were definitely two types of people. I was the same way. One of the reasons I ended up in radio is because you get to the end of that four years, or in my case, four and a half. I took a semester off because they had over um, accepted way too many upperclassmen and booted me out of the classes I was oh, supposed no. to take. Yeah, oh, um, I, I, There were so many around us who were so ambitious, yeah. and you know about the fights to get uh, you know, the films shown at a certain length because oh, yeah. they were always cutting and you know, people sabotaging you know, oh, yeah. screenings and um, – but I look back now, and it's like, not only was I not ready, I don't know that anybody was ready. There's no slam on Phil Juano or any of those guys, but anybody who walked mm-hmm. right out of film school, yeah. right into the business, I, I just don't see how they were equipped in life to kind of take that on. No, I mean, to meet certain people had like kind of a maturity level, but that was... Maybe technically, there were guys who were really ready because they knew how to, to make a film. We yeah. saw that. We saw some amazing work there from, yeah. from very young people. Oh, yeah, totally, um, totally. But yeah, I think back to that now, it's like, there was no way. I, I knew inherently I was not... And I also didn't want to be a script reader. Yeah. I wanted to... I was back to being in high school again. I wanted to do something creative. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not ready to do that yet. No, totally. So the acting thing um, really did take. I mean, that that yeah. could have been your life. I had a yeah, I had a very successful career as, as a character actor. I was always, you know, I got I was a regular on four series, regular on five actually different shows. 
think it was five. Um, you know, I'd be like the, the fifth or sixth lead. But, right. you know, you're taking care of and you're making good money for, you know, what you would normally be making. Um, but I always felt kind of – I liked it, but then the shows kept getting canceled. So it was just a feeling of, like, you were out of control of your destiny. And then it was when I finally got on a show that was a hit, which was Sabrina the Teenage Witch. And um, so I did that for a year and made this money. And they go like, oh, cool. Well, now I'm kind of taken care of for six or seven years. So I'm going to take that money and finally going to make a film. And wrote this film to be shot in a field one day, four people in a field, same outfit, all natural light about, you know, uh, four people who show up in a field all having gotten a message mentally that a UFO is going to come and take them away. And so it's kind of this little, you know, parlor drama out in the middle of the field. And, you know, so I did it. But here's the thing. So there I go. And I'm going to make this movie. So I write it, get everything together, organize the whole thing, get a crew. And we're out in the middle of this field in like Topanga State Park or something. So the first day goes pretty well. <clears throat> I'm actually on it and I'm acting in it too. So I'm just doing my Woody Allen thing. And the first day goes really well. And I've got this, my, my AD is this really guy who'd been in the industry. So he was kind of tough, but he was, you know, staying on me. Second day. <clears throat> so we get, our, something starts going wrong in the morning. I'm just getting off and like, we're, so we're falling behind. And I had six days to shoot this movie. That's all I had the budget for. That's all I could do. Um, so halfway through the day, he comes up and he goes like, we're behind, we're behind. And like, to me, it was like, suddenly I had this meltdown, uh, but private meltdown. So I was just like, I had this thing where suddenly in my head, I'm like, I'm going to fall apart. I'm going to fall apart. So I remember going like, just give me a sec. I just got to figure something out. So I remember walking across the field away from everybody and thinking, I'm just going to shut it down. I can't do this. I'm going to shut it down. I was not, I'm not meant to be a director. I can't do this. And having this moment of clarity of going, if I pull the plug on this, that's it. I will never direct again. This I will have given in to my fear that I've had ever since I was a kid of any, any kind of commitment, any kind of responsibility. It's like, you got to figure your way out of this or all bets are off. And you're going to become an actor who has no control over his career. Uh, and so I like, got, found the strength, went back and said, all right, here's what we're going to do. We had this big scene we had to do with the four of us, tons of dialogue. He said, I'm going to shoot it as a one. <laughs> and so like, all right. So we did this thing. I kind of set up this camera move and the four of us kind of do this thing. And I shot it and got it. And after a few takes, you know, I had, was going on, on, you know, short ends and shooting all that and uh, got it. I felt good about it. I'm like, good. We got it moving on. Said, are we back on schedule? He goes, yes. I was like, yes. And I was almost kind of a fuck you to him because he was really <laughs> like trying to mess with my head because I think he wanted to kind of take over the directing. Right, it. right. And he's a friend now. He's a great guy. Just he, you know, he, he smelled blood in the water. Right. But and I remember like that was a moment I was like, I did it and I kind of found my confidence then. And that was the moment that I became a director because I realized here's how you get out of things. Here's how you, you directors um, adapt. So in that time, do you still have that element of fear that you now know you have the tools to overcome? For instance, a, a choice to make a Ghostbusters, which you know has all this baggage, good and bad, to it. Um, do you gravitate to that, or, or is it easy for you now to go, oh, I can... I know it's big, but I can handle it. Or I know it's yeah, tough, I can handle it. I can. I, yeah, now it now it doesn't pop up. The only time it rumbles a bit is right before you start shooting. Like usually the day wow. before you start shooting or the night before you start shooting. And for me, sometimes it rumbles if I have a night shoot. Because I'm not I'm not good at night. And so if I have a really hard scene that's like a... You mean just personally? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, the, the, the moment I'm like... I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can get through, you know, especially when like, you know, because nighttime tends to be when you shoot giant scenes. Yeah. And that's the only time it's like, but it's all, but I just know now, I know myself well enough 
as a director and as a writer to know in the writing process, when I get into the middle of a script, I'm going to fall apart and I'm going to think it's terrible and I'm going to, I don't know what I'm doing. And it's like push through it. It happens every single time I've ever written a script. And, and on a movie, it's just like the night before you're going to get weird and sometimes on the night shoots you're going to get weird. Push through it. And so that's the good thing was just having done it so much, knowing yourself and going like these are my weaknesses and just don't pay attention to them. Um, we're going to need to jump to the end here because uh, you got uh, yeah we got to get to a screening I'm, exactly. I'm getting uh, oh, Playa a del Rey, yes. yeah, a screening of, of Ghostbusters. Oh yeah, yeah what a coincidence! Exactly, yeah. All right, so let's get to that. Um, you don't have to answer these, but um, we'll see uh, how it how it works. Uh, Ghostbusters, your Ghostbusters. Yes. Does it take place in the same universe as the original Ghostbusters? No, it does not. It's okay. a total reboot, new origin story. Um, are you? Are you heavily involved in the trailers and the publicity for most of your movies, including Ghostbusters? I am consulted, but I am not. I do not have final say. And so, when I register, um, uh, you know, what uh, reservations? <laughs> they are they are heard, but but oftentimes not. All right. Not so then, can you answer this question? Were you happy with the first trailer for Ghostbusters? The first ghost. The first trailer for Ghostbusters was challenging because. We didn't have special effects. We had a couple of shots we were working on. Right. We made as trailer shots, but um, I was very concerned about it because it was hard to kind of figure out exactly how we were going to portray. Right. It. Uh, and then the studio made the decision. They really, based on testing, this is based on testing, um, that an audience, new audience needed a connect, needed to know what the connection was between the two. And so that's right. when they came up with the 30 years ago, which I was very concerned about. Right. But I will say, in everyone's defense, that trailer tested very, very high in all their tests. So that's why for me, it was like, okay, well, and then I guess that's fine. Yeah. Um, uh, I've, I heard somebody, somebody else has made this comment. It wasn't me, but I think I feel this way too, where you, I, I have seen trailers for your movies. Mm-hmm. I saw the trailer for Spy. Yeah. And I'm not. I, I don't want you to take this wrong. This was, is me sitting in the back of the class will, at USC. I will say it before you say it. It, it's, it was not indicative of the movie. <laughs> I remember going, "Oh, Paul, I don't know." And then the yeah. movie was spectacularly funny. And and I wondered if it was maybe specifically you trying to hide the better jokes. Um, no, no. Here's what. Here's, it, or it was slapstick uh, more than. That's anything. the problem. This is what happened. And if you look at all my movies, I mean, I, honestly, I think that the trailers for the Heat were, were probably the the more successful trailers. We have. If you look at the trailers for Bridesmaids, too, they're not they're not great by nobody's fault, other than my movies and my style of comedy is all about context. It's about getting to know these people and then having fun with them as they play these things out. As you know, oh, this person doesn't normally do that. Spy. The number one problem with that was that scooter falling over. Yeah, because in what happens, and it's nobody's fault. You go to these test screenings that. Moment Huge. destroys, but yeah. it destroys because she has proven that she is good as a spy, and right. so you're just like, oh my god, she can do anything, and she gets on this thing and miscalculates because it's got a roof on it, and so that's why it's funny. But stand alone, it looks like Paul Blart Mall Cop. No slam on that, <laughs> but oh, we can slam on that a <laughs> little. I love bit. Kevin James, but, okay, I but, I, but it just looked very. Sticky, where right. the audience went like, okay, I know what that is. That's a, it's a bumbling, bumbling uh, detective. Okay, so for the audience that's that's uh, trepidatious, as you were, on the fence, how, in a nutshell, in a sentence, do you tell them it's all going to be okay? Because it's all character-based funny. It's really, you will fall in love with these characters. These four 
actors who are playing my Ghostbusters are so at the top of their games, not only comedically, but acting-wise, and people just fall in love with it. Every test screening we've done, people love those characters. I was so thrilled to hear those four names together when it was announced. It couldn't have been a better comment. That was That's immediate <laughs> yeah. lightning in a bottle yeah. kind of possibilities there. Totally. You know, and the, the big thing, this movie is just fun. The only reason this movie was made, and all this political stuff that's gotten attached <laughs> to it, just makes me laugh because... There was only one reason that I made this movie was because I wanted people to have summer fun, to have that same amount of fun that I had when I saw the first Ghostbusters, you know, today. Absolutely. Last three questions, yes. real quick. Uh, favorite movie all time? Oh, right boy. now. Uh, okay, uh, It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Um, you were pushed up on a karaoke stage, forced to do a song. The go-to tune would be? Viva Las Vegas. Elvis Presley. Yes. yes. And uh, if you, I don't know if you have not done this but uh have you ever worked with a monkey and if not would you be willing to i worked with a monkey i worked with a monkey i did a uh i directed a pilot that uh, uh bruce air kaplan wrote uh for it it was for hbo and it was topher grace but there was one moment it's a very funny pilot where he's very insecure and so he's trying to find a parking space and he pulls him in the car and he's looking at this space and he doesn't know if he can get in it and you cut back to him and he's just a chimp <laughs> behind the wheel looking very innocent and they go back and it's him and he pulls in but I was so terrified because all I could see was the stories of they jump on you they bite off your balls they tear right. off your face and, right. they, and they bite off your fingers and so oh, I was just like guys I'm not going anywhere near the monkey and you're back at the video just, village with oh, totally. uh, security and even around that, I'm you. going like he can somehow he's going to jump through the thing <laughs> he can sense my aggression as a director totally because I'd heard a story I'd been told a story by somebody who had worked on Lancelot Link Secret Chimp <laughs> oh, oh <laughs> yes. yes the best reference of the day the greatest show ever exactly. I will sing the song can we sing the song as we go out go yeah. ahead tell oh, the story oh yeah definitely so it was a stuntman who told me the story and he said they were, had some scene in an airplane where the, an old monkey was pushing a, a younger monkey in a wheelchair down the aisle. And so this, uh, some like, hotshot stunt guy was standing behind the director, in the, no, behind the animal trainer. And he's watching. And so the monkey's pushing, the old monkey's pushing. And so all of a sudden the old monkey stops in the middle of the aisle and just looks at the stunt guy for slightly longer than a second or two. And then goes back to pushing it. And so the animal trainer goes to the guy and goes, you better get out of here. He says, why? He says, he just tagged you. And he says... He just tagged you? Yeah. And so the guy's like, please, I fall off building. I get blown up in cars. I'm a stunt guy. Don't worry about it. So, all right. Take two. Monkey's coming. <laughs> stops. Looks at him again. And comes flying over the wheelchair and lands on this guy and starts wailing the shit out of him. So the guy's got to come. I got to, you know, they got to grab the monkey. And they're you know, back in the old days. I think they're probably beating it with a blackjack or something horrendous <laughs> like that. Pod. Totally. And so that's all I could see was like, somehow he's going to know. He's going to find me. And it was the cutest little monkey you've ever seen in your life. But I survived. Dude, my balls are still intact. So apparently the reboot of Lancelot Link's Secret Chip is not in the cards for Paul Feig. I will say, that is a project that I, uh, 15 years ago, more than that, I was like, that's the movie i got to make. So you never know. I might be working with... Uh, the I, chimp. Hope, I hope that's the first time anybody's asked you that question. I figured <laughs> somehow this week I would get one unique question in there. It is, but I love that I've actually worked with one. And you had an exciting story. Yeah. Uh, I cannot wait to see Ghostbusters. I am so excited about it. I have good, good feelings about it, and I, I want people to, to be unjudgy and go and enjoy. Um, I can't wait to just see Just come it. and have fun. That's all. all. Right. You'll just you'll, you'll have fun. All right. So now here we go with Paul Feig, the hook to the uh, th- uh, the theme song from Lancelot Link's Secret Champ. Do you remember this? I remember. It's, 
Landslot Link, Link. Secret Chimp. And we're out. (laughs) Get a monkey. Get a monkey! Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Hey.